You guys, that was beautiful. And Maddie, you do a great job of leading us all throughout the year. So it is um, apt and it is so great to be led by you on Christmas morning. And I think I can speak for everyone when I say I'm glad that wasn't a carol that we all had to sing along with because the rest of them are sung in this like crazy high pitch that none of us have to go, like can get to. And so we all just have to chant along. That's me. But I'm like, it's Christmas. No one's judging me. Jack standing like I see him edge away, the girls edge away. I'm like, it's Christmas. I'm a part of it. Um, but I feel like just chanting out Christmas carols and being completely like shameless in the day is all a part of Christmas. And I love Christmas. I feel like the general consensus around Christmas is love and all good things. And I actually really love and appreciate that it's this crazy, especially in our culture, it's this crazy collision of secular Christmas and Christian holiday. And, you know, suddenly we're at a time where like braving the shops and getting all your Christmas Christmas presents wrapped and bought and all of the things is um, just as much a tradition as celebrating Advent or, or you know, doing the, um, the daily scripture readings and things like that, as, as well as like um, going Christmas light hunting is just the same as... Um, as praying the scriptures into the day. I love that it's kind of both worlds combined because I feel like the baseline value and the general like true meaning of Christmas is for both the secular and the Christian kind of holiday are both around like family and kindness and generosity and awareness of um, the poor and uh, the people going through kind of adverse conditions. And so I just like love that Christmas brings out all of this great prosperity and the goodness in people and you don't road rage at people because it's Christmas and you're generous to people because it's Christmas and all of these crazy things and I feel like my um, enthusiastic binging of Netflix Christmas movies has really brought to light the uh, true meaning of Christmas. (laughs) Pam gets nervous in her seat waiting to hear what I'm about to say. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, Pam watches Netflix too. They just got internet at their house so praise God for that. (laughs) Welcome to 2019. Um, But, you know, it might seem like a terrible idea, but this morning I actually want to speak about kind of like a dark side of the Christmas story. And I know that seems really awful and demure after we've just had the kids up and we've just sung the Christmas carols and we're doing prezzies and we've got Christmas lunch after this and all things like that. But I don't want to ruin Christmas, but I actually think that it's a really important time to acknowledge that for a lot of people, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. You know, we place increased value on family and quality time and sometimes that only heightens the feeling of social isolation and loneliness. We put um, emphasis on generosity and gift giving and that magnifies those who can't afford gifts for maybe even their own children. And you know, in this time, we can't help but remember our lost loves or we mourn the memories that are missed. And it's just this undercurrent of darkness that, um, you know, casts a shadow over this uh, euphoric joy of Christmas. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that the church isn't ignorant to this and we're definitely not exempt from this. And in fact, I feel like this kind of like anticlimactic theme actually exists within the start of the Christmas story uh, where Jesus was born. It's the story that we're all familiar with. It's the, it's the story that we sing the carols about, that we rejoice in the joy of the holy night and all of these things. But even amidst this beautiful picture perfect nativity that we all imagine, where we see the wise men and we see the stars and we see the angels and this beautiful kind of scene, 
It's followed in the Scriptures by a scene that creates a real dampener, Christmas ruining kind of scene. So... (laughs) We're going to pick this um, this story up in Matthew chapter 2. I had slides ready and I was like loving myself sick this morning because I sent the email to Cam and I wrote like proudly wrote in the email, hey, got the slides in record timing. It's not like 9.20. And I got here this morning. He's like, yeah, you didn't attach anything. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> he's like record timing counts for nothing if there's nothing in there. I was like, forget I said anything. So anyway, there were slides and we made this beautiful background. So set your expectations for that. It was amazing. Would have changed changed your Christmas life. But you're just going to have to deal with me reading and we're going to move forward with it. So we're in Matthew chapter 2 and this is taken from a, a few different verses put together so we can get the bigger idea of this kind of part of the story. But it says, after Jesus was born in Judea in Bethlehem, It was during the rule of King Herod. And King Herod notoriously is, you know, in all sources of history, is this um, awful leader. He is known for many mass genocides. He's known for, I don't know, just like the classic old school leader where he would just um, mass murder Jewish leaders. He would kill children, families, kind of just like ruthlessly throughout his whole um, rule. And so it says, during the rule of King Herod, the Magi, who are astrologers, and I feel like I read that and I was like, guys, anyone who's living that horoscope life, even the astrologers knew about Jesus. huh?" So they came from the east and they came to Jerusalem and said to Herod, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And you can imagine this crazy King Herod would be like, You're looking at the king. What are you talking about, another king? And it says, the scripture says that he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And then, so Herod sent them, the Magi, to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I may too go and worship him. Spoiler alert, doesn't want to worship King Jesus. When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So Joseph was in the manger with Mary and Jesus. And it says, get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and he's going to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and he took the mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. But when, Re- when Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years and younger in accordance with the, with the time that he learned from the astrologers. And so, Jesus, uh, so Joseph fled and withdrew to the, city, to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in the town of Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And I know that it's easy to kind of read these scriptures and kind of be a bit familiar with Nazareth, I've heard of that, Bethlehem, I've heard of that, Joseph, I know him, all of these kind of things. So we may have missed in the story, but immediately after this miraculous birth of Jesus in the, main, in the manger, King Herod ordered all of the boys under two years old to be slaughtered in an attempt to stop Jesus from becoming the Messiah. Theologians refer to this genocide as the massacre of innocence. And even as you look around this kind of room, there are boys around that same age. In our church community, in our family, in our lives, there are boys of this age. And you can imagine that that would just cause a community-wide mourning. It, it creates this kind of contrast between this um, beautiful miracle of birth 
of a child in these dirty, substandard conditions and the heartbreaking taking of innocent's life. And you can imagine that a fact like that casts a pretty big shadow over the joy and the light and the beautiful perception of this nativity. And I feel like this, we are living in the modern day version of this, that just like those statistics of loneliness and depression and suicides cast a morbid shadow over our Christmas mornings today. But what does this actually mean? Does this kind of mean that we are cancelling Christmas and we're just going to give in to the morbidity and the cynicism that we kind of see on the news and, and just cancel it for the year? Because if it's, if it's not good for everyone, we can't do it at all kind of attitude. Well, I mean... Of course, we would never, firstly, Christmas is amazing, but we would never cancel Christmas because just as the angels said to the shepherds, they said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people because today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, he is the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. So that is the promise that existed 2,000 years ago. So the news and the birth of Jesus means that this promise of great joy was given to all people. But then, so soon after, we're celebrating this joy for all people. So soon after, there are families in the community who lose their own babies. They lose their precious gifts of life and it's the joy of that is just ripped away from them in the most tragic circumstances and you can imagine like I said the whole community would just be in mourning and how are you supposed to rejoice in the hope of a new king in the form of the new baby that you just lost these are the same people who would have been rejoicing as a town as a community as a group of people celebrating in the joy and the hope of a new king of Judea no more king Herod there is great joy promise for all people this is the turning point for us this is it, we've got it, we've, we've lasted through just to have all of their hopes and their joy and their dreams ripped away from them in the, in the um, image of a, of a mass murder of children. You can't even, you don't cast your eyes upon the birth of Jesus and rejoice in that fact. You mourn in that fact. A, a loss of a baby's life is a tragedy under any circumstance. But I feel like when we cannot find joy there, we look throughout the life of Jesus and see a recurring pattern. You know, imagine that every single person in that town was rejoicing at the news of this new Messiah, the one they call Emmanuel, the one that is God with us. How many, how many people of that group do you think would have fallen away after this massacre of innocents? Many, many, many people, surely. And then how many people do you think would have lost hope in the, in the proclaiming the name of Jesus, once they realise that the king of the world is actually just a baby wearing nappies. And then how many more do you think would have fallen away or stepped away or stopped, you know, yelling the name of Jesus once they realised that he was just a kid, he was just a human, he was just doing, you know, the, his father's trade, he was living in a town called Nazareth. And in John chapter one, it said, what good thing could ever come from Nazareth? That guy's not our king. He's not our Messiah. That's a 14-year-old kid learning to be a carpenter. No one's looking at that and seeing the hope and the great joy for all people. And then of the few people who would still be like, okay, I remember that the angel did say that. They said, there's going to be a baby born. Great joy, all people. I've got it. I'm still going to hold fast, even though Jesus, he doesn't look like a king right now. 
But how many more of them would have fallen away? I would dare to say all of them would fall away when this guy they've watched grow up. They've watched live the average life of a completely human man goes up on the cross and dies a criminal's death. You think that would be the ultimate loss of hope, right? The guy who you've kind of tried to be backing and you've kind of tried to be rejoicing in and up he goes and he he dies this tragic death where how do you rejoice in that? I feel like that's the ultimate told you so moment for the naysayers. The ones who lost hope way back when say, I told you, that's not a king. There's no great joy there. For all people, there's no joy at all for those people. And I think that today, so often, we see people doing the same thing with their relationship with God. We maybe go to church once, or we maybe make a decision, or we used to kind of live that life. You know, we used to make bold declarations for restoration. We used to believe for healings. We used to, you know, believe that our lives were going to be changed. All for us and everyone around us. And just to be disappointed that we, when we don't see instant evidence. We just walk away when circumstances don't seem to be changing. When life seems hard or unfair or tragedy tragedy strikes, we lose hope. We forget the promises of great joy that were in the baby Jesus. We denounce our faith because we don't have those same butterfly feelings as when we first came to church. But you remember that contrast that was at the beginning of Jesus' life? You know, where the innocent life was being taken while the life who starts in this dirty and messy and substandard conditions is spared. That is a foreshadowing of what Jesus' life, His death and His resurrection meant for us. It means that in the cross, there is a promise to redeem us, to heal us, to restore us and to give us life and life to the full. And it's undeniable that this is a confusing and incomprehensible idea for us to fathom. And it means that we can can have hope when we have faith amidst, amidst this broken world. In this dark and broken world, we have the same promises as they had 2,000 years ago. Despite what it looks like on the outside, the promise for us is do not be afraid, church. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, Christmas Day, is in the town of David, a Saviour was born to us. And He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And every time we sing of this baby in Bethlehem, the one born in a manger, we are reminding ourselves, we are declaring to our spirit that there is hope even when we don't see it. There is faith when we have to declare it instead of feel it. But in an age of instant gratification, where we want to feel this fulfilment straight away, and what good is it to have this hope and this faith when it looks like nothing, when it looks like darkness, where we're still braving the tragedy? Hebrews 11 verse 1, the word says, This trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. And because of this, because of the promises, because of the joy that is in the birth and the life of Jesus Christ, it means that because of this Christmas story and because of the faith we have in it, we have faith that Jesus Christ is our God with us. And despite our circumstances and beyond what we think 
we know about God and beyond what we think we know that God is doing and beyond what our circumstances tell us, what tragedy tells us, what 30 years of walking through average life, through the normality of life, through the days where it doesn't feel like the hope is really pepping you up in the morning. That is where we find our hope and our great joy when we declare and profess it to our own spirits. Christmas no longer is this anti-climax of the year where the pressure around us threatens to kill us. But Christmas is a time where we remember that we have hope and we have an assurance of the things that we do not see, the things we do not feel, the things that do not give us a rush of instant fulfilment. We still believe, we still endure, and we still persevere because we have a hope in Jesus Christ. And we read this Christmas story and we believe it to be true. We don't believe it just for the morning and we go into the Christmas lunch. We don't just believe it tomorrow because we remember the Christmas service. We believe it through every month, every season, every journey of our life because the Word tells us that a Saviour has been born unto us. And in His life, God became man and we have got great joy. We have got salvation. We have got redemption. We have got true love. We have got worth. We have got value. Our story is always best, the best is yet to come because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So I'm, I think that we're going to sing another Christmas carol and it's going to be loud and we're all going to sing it with our terribly discordant voices. But as we finish, I'd like to pray for you guys because I know that Christmas can be a really hard time. And if it's not hard for you, then I can guarantee you know someone who is going through hardship. And it is up to us, those who know the truth and the great gift of joy that is in Jesus Christ, to be able to share that life, light, share that hope, share that love and share that encouragement for those around us. If you have never accepted the hope of Jesus Christ, if you once had the hope of Jesus Christ, but because of circumstance, because of lack of momentum, because of lack of insight, I'd love to invite you to be able to just pray and open up your heart to be, be able to question or receive or maybe just take God at His word on this one and see how your life is changed when you declare hope, when you declare great joy into every season despite what it looks like and despite what it feels like. Because there's no doubt that life will just throw us curveballs. Life will throw us great tragedy, undeniably, because we live in this dark and broken world. But amidst that, we have a promise for hope and a promise of joy and a promise of true love in the life of Jesus. So God, thank you so much for sending your son as complete man, God, to live the average days as well as the tragic days, God. I just pray that we would be able to take your word as we see it, as we read it and as we receive it into our spirit, God, that this wouldn't be a Christmas that we just roll through the motions, God, but this would be a Christmas where we examine where our hope comes from. And if we just wash around with the, with the waves of life, God, help us to be anchored into you. Let your hope be the anchor to our soul, God, and let us declare it to our spirits, even when we don't believe it, that because of Jesus, there is great joy promises ahead. Help us, God, to be the light in our community. Help us bring light to our family to be able to speak life into a dark world, God, and help others realise and receive the hope of Jesus. God, we pray for every person fighting anxiety, depression, suicide, all of these things, Lord, in this time that should be about joy and about restoration and about hope, God. We just pray that Your light would just infiltrate into that, Lord. 
that they would examine where their hope comes from and they would know that there is a God who loved them so much that he sacrificed everything to be with us, that he called out the one and said, you are worthy. And God, we receive that worthiness into our own spirits, not because of anything that we could do, God, but because of everything that you did for us, Lord. We love you so much. We know that we are only righteous through your blood. And I pray that this is a year that's a turning point for so many people, God, that we see restoration in marriages, in mental health, in, in conditions of work, God, that we would be able to have an effect on the whole world as you came to be the light of it. We love you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit would go with us today. And we pray in your precious saving name. Amen.